to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Welcome back. Always good to be here. It's a, uh, all the alternatives I can think of. Yeah, well, maybe not everything, but <laughs> most things. Oh, wow, I've been uh, reading a lot this past couple of weeks just on the, uh, and I always read a lot, but yeah, I've been kind of focusing on what the Fed's plans are for the economy, and, and uh, it always surprises me that uh, um, how much power you know, the Fed actually has. In fact, we should probably be voting on the Fed president. And uh, I know those guys would roll their eyes if they heard me say that. But the uh, oh, they've got more power than just about anybody on the planet. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in today's show, what the outlooks for inflation are, uh, according to the Fed, what, the, uh, what that might mean for stock prices over time. Uh, we're going to talk about what that means for bond prices over time. You know, stocks and bonds are uh, the two major asset categories. They they hold most of the assets. You have real assets, things you can put your hands on. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, that's about yeah, stocks, bonds, cash. And that's, that's it. You've got stocks, bonds, cash, and then things that you can put your has, hands on. Those are called real assets. Uh, gold would fall into that. A whole bunch of stuff falls into that. That's actually the, the most, uh, that, that's the riskier portion to invest your money in are things that you can actually put your hands on, which is kind of weird because you would think that that would be one of the, the lesser. But anyway, a lot of things like that in finance are are present and always have been totally counterintuitive. I mean, it's unbelievable how many things do not work like you think they should. And in fact, typically work about 100% opposite. So <laughs> it makes it really tough. For the, uh, I, you know, I feel so bad for the average person who's got to sit around and try to wade through all the stuff that I wade through every day. I, d- I just don't know where you would get the time. But anyway, it was uh, pretty upbeat. I mean, I'm looking at the last, uh, uh, the things that they had just published, the Fed's uh, letter to the, Powell's letter to the public, and it was actually recorded. You can actually find that at federalreserve.gov. And uh, I think it's a, uh, um, this is awesome. This is one of the one of the aspects of having the internet that I think has just been a blessing, because you can go in and s- download what the speeches were. You don't have to be there to see them. You can listen to them. It's uh, it's amazing. And anyway, long story short, what they're talking about is is kind of more of the same, where they don't see huge inflationary pressures. Uh, there there is inflation. Uh, they're keeping an eye on it. They think that it is kind of just a snapback inflation and the fact that they're still, you know, the economies are still shut down somewhat and the shortages are causing rising prices, but they think that's going to um, settle down. That's kind of a big deal for them to, to come out and say that. And I think it's good. Uh, 
And in other words, they don't have plans right now to do a lot with interest rates. And that's a, probably a pretty good thing uh, when interest rates go up. And, and, and actually, the interest rates themselves really are not that effective. That's what everybody looks at. And they think that it's you know it's going to be the end of the world every time they raise interest rates 1% or 2%. But the reality is people will buy they will they will borrow money no matter how much you charge them if you will lend it to them i mean think about it how many credit cards out there have interest rates that are higher than 20% and in most of them and they're still taking that money <laughs> i don't know if you've seen visa or mastercard stock but you know i'm glad that they make up a good chunk of a lot of the funds that i hold um because it's done very well and so the interest rates alone, the, the thing that, that the public pays most attention to, mainly because the media emphasizes it, and uh, their media is full of journalists, not economists, and uh, I'm sure I just made a bunch of them really mad, but yeah, uh, that's okay. Um, the interest rates are not that effective. You know what's really effective is making the available money, uh, making the money available for loans. When the Fed talks about that, they talk about asset purchases, okay. translated into English, buying loans from banks, giving them money for the loan so that they can go out and make more loans. And you know what? It's one of the reasons that if you look at banks' incomes, they've shifted a long time ago to where they, they typically make a substantial portion of their revenue from the fees on the loans, not the interest rates. And so there's two parts to a loan. There's a fee structure and then there's the interest rate. And that's where a huge amount of their income comes from. So if that slows down because the Fed stops purchasing loans from banks and the whole economy comes to a screeching halt and you've got 2008 and 2009 on your hands, you know, that's typically what happens. That was an extreme uh, reaction to, uh, there were other mitigating factors, the reason that they were slowing down on the loans that they were making is because a lot of the loans were going bad. So that was a, uh, it reminded me of that movie George Clooney was in. What the heck was that? Where he was a, the fisherman and they were out there and they got caught up and uh, three different storms came in and converged on them and <laughs> sunk the ship. I just can't remember what the name of that movie is. Don't, don't get old people. <laughs> yes, that was actually... Thanks, Josh. The perfect storm. So that that's what 2008 and 2009 reminded me of. I mean, you're just like, really? <laughs> what else? Can, what else can happen? But you know what's really interesting about that? Is that not only did we survive, but we recovered from it relatively quickly. You know, that wasn't that bad. Um, this last, you know, the S&P was down over 30%. A lot of the small mid-cap international emerging markets, they were down a lot more than that, you know, not too long ago, but 18, 20 months ago, they were down at those levels. And it was one of the quickest declines and one of the quickest recoveries. So I think if you could take anything away from that, it would be that we're getting really good at managing the economy. And are, is it going to have bumps along the way? Yep. That's just part of the process. And that, that's why it's so important to kind of understand that, to, to have an idea that, yes, you can't predict when they're going to happen. So you have to make adjustments along the way. 
That's what the Fed is saying. They're going to make adjustments. They're ready to make adjustments right now. And they're watching for certain things to happen. So, and by the way, if you want to go to that website, it's federalreserve.gov. That's their website. And you can read what he, all about what he had to say there. And I think that's a, uh, it's great. It's uh, probably the best you could par- uh, probably expect. You know, I've been looking at this for the past few months, just in amazement at how quickly things have recovered and how many other things have been propelled to accelerate the distribution of in uh, um, just the mass acceptance of that as well, mainly in the healthcare system. But it's it's been mind-boggling. And there are still a lot of portions of the economy who have not recovered yet. That, that's also mind-boggling. The GDP numbers are close to or either above where they were before the pandemic hit. So when those other industries actually start to come around, then, you know, it's it's all new territory. So I guess when you start looking at it that way, stocks seem very attractive. Bonds seem a little less attractive because at some point in time, you know, and interest rates have crept up just a little bit. They're off the bottoms by a fairly significant amount. Um, still not enough to be able to, to generate enough income to live off of without taking an enormous amount of risk. But the uh, bond prices probably in a range here for a while until the Fed sees something that they say, you know what, we definitely have to slow down on our asset purchases. Translation, we're not buying bank loans. Uh, if they're not buying the bank loans, that's going to put a, a um, heavy weight on the economy because we all run on loans. That's how these houses get bought, how cars get bought. Uh, you know, People finance their um, a lot of other stuff on credit cards. So that's a uh, that's a that has a really slowing effect on the economy, and the stock market normally reacts by dropping. Okay, so that's what happens. And you know, it's amazing. I will get calls and I'll get emails saying, "Okay, when is that going to happen?" Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> Nobody has ever made a lot of money by forecasting, predicting, and reacting to what's going to happen in the future in the stock market, unless you've got at least a 10-year time horizon. 10-year time horizon? There have been a lot of people that have done that. When you're looking out over a one or two-year time period, nobody that I know of, and I keep looking, by the way, nobody I know of. The high-frequency traders don't count. Those guys are front runners. That that practice should should not be allowed, but... These big trading firms and the gener- the fees that they generate are too high to have any federal agency do anything about it. And quite frankly, if you're going to try and compete on that level, you're going to get beat. And uh, you heard it here. You should not be trying to short-term trade on just about anything. To, to think that you're the only one in the world that has the idea that you have or the insight that you have. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a tough thing to do. So just stay away from that. And um, most, if you want to be highly accurate in your predictions, make really long-term predictions. As in the super long-term, you know, they're going to keep printing money. Prices are going to go up. And, you know, Procter & Gamble, Hershey's, Clorox, they're not going to take that on the chin. They're going to raise their prices. That's part of the process. That's how it all works. That's how everything works. That's why stocks have outperformed other asset classes over time. 
a stock can raise its uh, or a company can raise its prices if their prices go up and protect their profit margin sooner or later. Uh, and uh, so it's basically just how the whole thing works. And I, I really like it. The, the problem is when you get close to retirement age or if you're already in retirement and you've got too much of your money in stocks and the stock market drops really far, you may not be able to recover because you're taking money out to supplement your retirement income, or you may be forced to stop taking money out of your your retirement plan while it recovers. That's a problem, especially now that we don't have five or 6% CDs and they're not coming anytime soon. That was the other thing I, I took away from the Fed. It's um, the report on the uh, federalreserve.gov. So they're not going to be raising interest rates a lot anytime soon. And that that's rough. That's incredibly difficult. It's made everybody's job as an investor and all the professional investment advisors out there significantly harder. The stock market's picked up a lot of the slack, all the slack over the past three or four years. Bonds have done horribly over that time period. And uh, when I say horribly, I mean, compared to long-term returns, they're either flat or negative past three, four years. That, that blows my mind in the interest rates are being, are so low when interest rates go up, bond prices have a tendency to continue to drop. Okay. And predicting that good luck with that. You know, that, that is, if you could do that, by the way, um, call me up. If you can predict a four or 5% move, I can show you how to make a hundred percent or more on your money, but you have to be completely accurate. If you're not accurate, it doesn't work. Now, the fact that there aren't a whole bunch of billionaires walking around, giving money away for free on standing on a corner, East ninth street, the way Carnegie used to. And uh, he was actually handing out dimes when they were actually worth about a dollar 20. The, uh, Uh, actually, they might be worth more than four, like four or five bucks. So uh, I'd have to go back and redo the math on the inflation since that time period. But anyway, you would be incredibly rich if you could if you could predict accurately a move of four to five percent that happens in a week. I can show you how to make a ton of dough on that. So anyway, please don't call me over that. That you know, we'll talk about it after these messages. You're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm right here on fourteen twenty. In the dark and all alone. Growing comfortable Are you too scared to move and walk out of this tomb? Buried underneath the lies that you believed Safe and sound, stuck in the ground Too lost to be found You're just asleep And it's time to leave Come on and rise up
and we're back. So, yes, this is a new day. <laughs> hey, if you want a link to that letter that the Fed put out, um, I forget what they called it, the Monetary Policy Report. Yes, that's what it's called. Monetary Policy Report submitted to Congress, and this was done in uh, late February. And uh, so I, they, I think they only do it once every six months. So it should be getting a, uh, another one out here fairly soon. And I think it's really kind of interesting. It, I'm really impressed that they've um, they're speaking now with with actually simpler language on the websites for the general public. It's still pretty complicated if you're brand new to it or if you don't have a, a background in finance. But you can catch on to it fairly quickly. And uh, anyway, so if you'd like to see a send me if you'd like me to send you a link. To that page and I by all means just reach out to my website uh, if when you go to my website and you go to the contact us form a lot of people forget to fill out what they were requesting so I get a name and an email address and saying they have a question but it doesn't say what the question is <laughs> so it's really hard for me to respond um, because I, I flunked mind reading in college I and uh, if, if you're married and you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Can't read minds. <laughs> Actually, if you're, uh, no, no. yeah, if you're married, you know. <laughs> so anyway, you, you need to uh, just, just write down a little. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just, hey, what was that report you were talking about, the Federal Reserve? Yeah, I'll be glad to send you a link and you can uh, read it for yourself. That's one of the great things about modern technology you can access just about anything if you've got a question and you've got enough time you can look it up you can look up resources and uh basically get your questions answered so i think that that's pretty cool um well, the reason i was talking about this was i'm trying to uh follow just like everybody else on the planet that works in financial services what the current thinking of the Fed is because they control the money supply and the money supply controls the economy. It's just like oxygen in your a human body. You get a lot of oxygen, everything's fine. The oxygen starts getting depleted. Uh oh. You know, watch out. You better better make some adjustments. And it's the same thing. So the uh um actually the credit is the blood of the economy. And the faster it, it flows, more oftentimes it's, you know, the more healthy the body is. And when it starts to slow down, you know, problems start to arise. So kind of simple that way. But um, what it means for the average investor is that you're probably not going to get a lot of CDs or bonds that are paying more than one or 2%. And they're not right now. That, that's a high number. I don't know of a lot of bonds that are paying more than 2% unless they're high yield and high yield bonds are, it's, it's a good asset class, but I wouldn't put a ton of money in it. They're as volatile almost as stocks are. They fluctuate almost as much as stocks do. So yeah, you're going to get a, a, a current income of somewhere between four and 5% depending on the fund, but it's going to fluctuate just like your stocks will. So you're not really getting a, a break on the risk there. And the other options available today, and these are, you know, I've been talking about this for, oh, probably a year and a half now. 
mainly because interest rates had gotten so low and the economy had gotten to a point where, you know, is this really going to recover uh, anytime real quickly? The economy's recovered well. Interest rates, I should be saying. Are interest rates ever going to get back to, you know, 4 or 5%? I would love that, by the way. I would love it. I'm not going to like the process of getting back to 4 or 5% because when interest rates go up, both stocks and bonds have a tendency to go down. Okay. Now, eventually, they come back, but it could take a long time period. And if you're within 10 years of retirement, or if you're already retired, you may not have the kind of time for that. That That's the big issue. So there are some alternatives. One of them we've talked about, it's called a fixed indexed annuity. It's it's kind of a combination of a fixed account and an index fund account. So your money gets invested in an index, uh, in an index. Actually, they're buying options on the index because it's safer that way. They're not actually putting the money in that index. They're just buying the right to buy it. Okay. And you get a certain participation rate uh, or percentage when it goes up. Uh, if it goes down, the options just expire worthless and all, all the, your, your principal is actually guaranteed by the insurance company. So, and the, the guarantees are really why I started looking at it because their, their guarantees are significantly higher than what you would be able to get in a, uh, a regular bond account or a uh, CD. They're substantially higher. And by the way, there are two types that I like. Okay. One's called a fixed indexed. It's fixed. Okay. The rate on it. I feel like is high enough to warrant using this for a portion of your money. And there's the other one is the investment only annuity. And it's basically mutual funds that are tax deferred. And that's a really good one as well. So I think I'd use that one for the growth portion, or at least some portion of the, the growth uh, allocation to your accounts. So you want something you know that's going to go up over time. And here's why I would use that one for that uh, particular reason. It has a writer. A writer is like an insurance policy that you can add to your investment account. Uh, in this case, it's an investment-only annuity. Um, you can add those to it. And the writer is not as much as the fixed accounts are. The fixed indexed annuities have higher payout ratios. But they're fixed. They stay that way. This one starts out a little bit lower, but if the investments do well, they'll raise the income that you're getting. And that that's kind of a big deal. That's a really big deal. I know when I say all this stuff, people are going to ask for the, uh, uh, can you explain that? Sure. And believe me, uh, I don't, I really have no problem sending out links. You can take a look at these things online at your leisure you can always call it, you can set up a phone meeting if you just want to talk about it. Or if you have a few questions, just go to my website, make sure you type in what you're asking <laughs> and then uh, I'll call you back and we can talk about it. But between those two items, that, that, that's a pretty good deal, especially that's my opinion. Okay. You've got one that's going to give you a higher income. It's going to stay fixed. It has a chance to go higher. The, the chance of it going higher is pretty remote. Okay. I'm just going to tell you right up front. I've looked into the, the inner structure of these things. And, and could it happen? Yeah, if you had another five-year run like you did in the late 90s, yeah, you could, your income could go up. But the uh, more than likely, it's going to be the fixed 
guarantees that you're there for. Now, the other, uh, the investment only annuity is has a lower guarantee rider that you don't even have to take. If you don't want it, you don't have to put it on there. You can, that's optional. It's also got an optional return of premium rider. They both have those. Uh, and what that means is if you had invested in it and the market crashed, you looked at your account and had a heart attack, they would pay back your beneficiaries the full amount that you've invested. Now, if you've already started taking income out of it, they would take the income minus the income. So I know all this stuff sounds pretty complicated. I I call that annuity the Gumby annuity, by the way, because it is really flexible. You can add those riders on or you don't have to have them. If you just want a good tax-deferred product with access to funds from Vanguard, Fidelity, uh, T. Rowe Price, there are 350 funds in there. You can move them around. One of the big benefits is it's tax-deferred. So while it's growing, instead of getting a 1099 each year where you're going to have to pay taxes on capital gains or dividends, that money will stay in those accounts and reinvest, and you won't get that 1099 as long as you're not taking money out of it. So it'll grow faster because it's tax deferred because of the tax deferral. So, and, and, uh, so if you want more information on either one of those uh, products, I think I think they're a good idea, uh, especially for now. Uh, you know, when you've got a stock market that's done very well, the valuation on stocks is not low. Stocks are not underpriced. They're not grossly overpriced. They are if you look at them historically, but we've got a a 10-year treasury that's 1.5%. When you make that comparison, would you rather have a a stock that has an earnings yield of 4 or 5% or even 3% versus 1.5%, I'm going to take the stock. So um, an earnings yield is not a dividend yield, by the way. Uh, So if you want more information on that, you need to set up a call. We can talk about it. And I did put a, uh, you know, I probably need to write a couple blurbs uh, for a blog and pop that out there because the the earnings yield is something that would help, I think, people understand stocks better when uh, simply, quite simply, it's just take the earnings and divide it by the share price. Now, the theory is, let's say you owned every share of XYZ company. At the end of the year, after you made all your sales, paid all your expenses, you're left over with a certain amount of profit. Okay, You pay your taxes, you take that, that balance, and you split it up amongst all the shareholders. Let's say it's a family business and you want to give everybody a Christmas present. So you're going to take your profits at the end of the year and divide it by the share price, and that'll tell you what kind of return, what kind of earnings yield it has. Not a dividend yield. The dividend is normally a portion of the earnings. Most companies have a tendency not to pay out 100% of their their profits as a dividend, especially today. In fact, a lot of companies pay none of their profits out as a dividend. Uh, So how do you, people used to just look at the dividend yield to tell tell whether or not a stock was underpriced or not. If if it was yielding seven or 8% and you're, you're, Savings account was only paying six percent. They would, you know, people would invest in stocks. That's what they did back in the nineteen forties and fifties, and for a good part of the sixties and seventies. So it was the. Uh, uh, I think it was a little simpler back then, actually. But anyway, long story short, 
An earnings yield is take the profits the company's generated over the last year earnings per share divided by the share price. That'll it'll convert it to a yield. Now that you can compare that with a bank or you know a bank product, a CD or anything else for that matter. And uh, if the earnings yield is higher on your stock, you may want to take a closer look at that. Now, I'm not. I'm, I am not advocating that you start managing stock portfolios. By the way, there are funds out there now that are taking all that math that I just talked about and they're doing it automatically and they're doing it a whole lot faster than I can. <laughs> and they add some other criteria in there because you got to be thinking, well, what if the, the profits go down? And that's a very real thing. I've never seen a stock whose profits only went up stock that the profits fluctuate just like all of our own personal balance sheets. They fluctuate. Now, that's just the way of the world. So if you see, uh, earnings fluctuating, that's not that big a deal. Uh, it's, it's a big deal if they're losing a lot of money all of a sudden. But if you've got a, an algorithm or, or a formula that says, okay, I only want companies that are profitable, that would eliminate a whole ton of companies. I only want companies that have a profit margin that's, been, that's had an average above a certain number uh, over the past five or 10 years. There are a bunch of funds out there that do this now. And uh, it makes it a lot easier uh, if you have the time to sit down and go through all that. It doesn't mean that not that they won't fluctuate. Incidentally, all stocks fluctuate a lot. It just means that you're holding on to some really quality stuff, or the funds in that uh, the the stocks in that fund meet a certain criteria that's been carefully thought out and planned. That that's a big deal. <laughs> it's been carefully thought out and planned. How does that describe most of your financial lives? Carefully thought out and planned. I'm going to tell you, everybody has um, reservations when you start talking about careful planning. Because we all, you know, there are always things that we're not going to know. You can't, you can't know everything. Well, maybe some people can. I, most people can't know everything. And... Um, when you get to budgeting, when you get to projections and all that stuff, you just have to do the best you can. Now that I hear the music, I'm going to have to hold that thought until right after these commercial messages. You're listening to Bill Bullington here on 1420. Stay tuned. Some days life feels perfect. Other days it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. So it's crazy, amazing. We can turn our heart through the words we say. Mountains crumble with every syllable. Hope can live or die. So speak light, speak light. To the deadest, darkest And I'm back. Hey, if you hear anything that you'd like more information on, feel free to go to my website, bullingtoncapital.com, reach out, and we will try to reach back to you. Um, been talking about a lot of stuff. We always talk about a lot of stuff. If you uh, missed this show, you can actually find it online. It's at the, on the Fish's website, 955thefish.com. And also you can go to uh, uh, my website and there's a copy of the show there. Um, so you just click on that link and you can listen to it and pick up on the stuff that you wanted more information on and then just email me and 
uh, or we'll set up a call. So anyway, I'm going to get to the last uh, portion, every portion of the every last portion of the show. I'm going to try to talk a little bit more about <clears throat> the individual stocks that are going because, uh, you know, for a lot of people, um, it's it's a hobby. And for me, it's a hobby. You know, I've relegated it to a hobby. I have less than 20% of my money in the account that I manage the way that I'm going to explain over the next couple of minutes. And if you do miss this, by the way, there's a website out there. Um, Mike Seeger and I put it together. It's called lookoutforthebull.com. And it explains exactly how I'm, I'm trying to locate stocks. And uh, next time we're able to do a seminar, I'll actually go through that material again with you. Uh, I only do it because it's fun for me. I mean, I, I like it. I have, well, two reasons. It's fun and it's been very profitable. So those are the two reasons. And sometimes it gets horribly frustrating. Uh, sometimes I just don't, I, you know, sometimes you're going to wish that you'd never heard of stocks <laughs> because you're going to get, you put a lot of effort into it and then the market goes down and gets, you know, you, you have losses. So it's learning how to overcome the losses, not letting it get you down. That's a uh, that's a big deal. I, I'm going to say that's probably 90% of your success is going to be your mindset because it, it's relatively simple. You know, even the stuff Warren Buffett does is relatively simple. It's just uh, he's been very successful keeping his cool and investing in higher quality companies and uh, hanging on to them. Identifying a high quality company is a very difficult thing to do, by the way. Um, everybody can look at the numbers. But when it comes down to the things that don't show up on a balance sheet or an income statement, that that's, takes a lot of um, legwork, takes a lot of grit, a lot of hustle, and it takes a little bit of luck. Um, in fact, he said something about that just a couple of days ago, and I was uh, amazed that, that it came from him because uh, it's something that I kind of thought for a long time. But uh, anyway... I just ran the scan, and uh, I am pre-recording this. And right now, because it's so early during the day, the market's only been open a half an hour. And there are actually 13 companies that came up on the scan already. And I'm going to tell you, there's a, a trucking company. I don't know who this company is, uh, what they're doing, but the chart pattern is pretty good. And that's typically what I'm looking at when I'm looking at a, a shorter term, something that is a trend following, it's not super short term. Some of the stocks that you'll buy here, you'll be hanging on to for several months uh, while they run. We're selecting stocks that are moving up really quickly right now and basically just trying to follow that trend. So again, you can learn more about that on the uh, website, lookoutforthebull.com. But uh, one of them that's come up, and I, I don't think I would buy this one. Uh, it's called the Chef's Warehouse. It uh, it's symbol is C H E F. It, it just came up on the scan today. It, it may not even make it by the end of the day. That's that's one of the tough things about doing midday scans. I normally like to do this at night. Um, but uh, anyway, I just like the uh, I like the symbol on it. The the pattern's actually pretty good. The uh, um, when you see that if you if you Look at a lot of stock charts over time. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You go, oh yeah, I, rec I recognize that. And uh, there's one uh, a company called Perigo. And I've used, I've seen this company. It was 170 bucks a share way back in 2015, and then in 2019 
get down to 37. Pretty big drop. Uh, it's starting to come back. It, it gaffed way up this morning and is actually off of its high. For, it's up 11% since yesterday. But from the high price today, it's actually down 4 How does that happen? Well, the stock gaps up. A whole bunch of buyers right on the open of the market. goes up a lot. And then it starts selling off and coming down throughout the day. Now, how it's going to end up, I don't know. But if you look at support and resistance, it busted through resistance right around 50 bucks right on the open this morning. Now it's pulling back. And uh, if I were to own this, I would probably have a 10% stop on it, initial stop, and a 20% or not about a 17% trailing stop. If you don't know what those terms are, then that's why I would probably go to look out for the bull because uh, you can read about it there and, and or just Google it. You know, that, that's one of the great things about modern technology. You can just Google it. And I'm here to tell you, the reason that I don't do a lot, do this with a lot of my money is that there are funds out there who are doing things that are very similar to what I'm doing. In fact, there are some funds that I own uh, because I like their models. Uh, I actually like their models better than I like my model. And so I own a little bit of both. Again, this is only because I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. I understand how to manage the risk. And that's what we're talking. That's actually what investment management is. It's managing the risk, the risk of running out of money. That's called longevity risk. You have to take that into account when you're, when you're doing any of this stuff. And uh, you've got to manage the risk of your portfolio. You won't be able to manage risk by jumping in and jumping out. Just do spend a little time Googling the average investor's returns or the difficulty in spotting a market bottom or a market top. You know, if it were that easy, uh, shoot, nobody would ever have to work. It'd, it'd be easy. It's, hey, just pick the tops and the bottoms. That's all you got to do. <laughs> that should tell you a little bit about how difficult that is. And, and again, if, if you can pinpoint one 5% move and you get it, you got to hit it on the head, but it's only once. It's only 5%. How hard could that be? I could show you how to make 100% on your or more on your money. Now, that should tell you how hard that is and why I'm still working. <laughs> That's how hard that is. That is incredibly difficult to do. So it's kind of like, you know, winning the lottery. It's, it's very similar to winning the lottery. And uh, I feel so bad for people who who got lucky and thought they were onto something. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. And it just, it, you know, it busts me up a little bit inside to watch somebody who's made in a, a fortune and it was all luck because I've also watched them stay there until their luck ran out. And that is heartbreaking and uh, it's devastating. I don't ever want, I know I'll see it again, but I, I just really, my, uh, uh, it's hard to watch. It's hard to listen to. And, you know, it, it has a, it's had a huge effect on a ton of people. So I think you just, you got to get a plan. The plan doesn't have to be that complicated. And uh, I've been threatening for years to, uh, to write a little booklet on, the, you know, the financial plan that everybody needs. And uh, I just haven't done it because I hate my writing. <laughs> I I literally hate the way that I write. So uh, maybe I'll try to hire somebody. I'll just 
I'll just record a whole bunch of stuff and let them write it for me. But uh, because it, it's really not that complicated. Investing, successful investing has not been that complicated since they started trading stocks in Amsterdam in the 1700s. Okay. It has not been that complicated. It's not the way people want it to be. And they don't give up. <laughs> they don't give up on hoping that at some point in time, the world is going to bend to their wishes and make it the way that they want it to be. What's really cruel is sometimes it will temporarily. And they'll be very successful temporarily. And then it'll turn around and take that right back one day if they live long enough. And that is that is really tough to watch. So we want to kind of avoid that if possible. And uh, like I said, I'm so thankful today. We have so many good tools and we can do so much more than we were able to do in the past. Uh, even the, the fixed indexed annuities, I stayed away from those products for years because I didn't like the way they were structured. Okay. And the market came around. They, they developed products that you look at it, you go, oh, okay, I can see the value in that. There's a big value in that. Um, you look at the exchange traded funds or the money management business. I can see a tremendous amount of value in that. In fact, that was one of the main reasons I left to start my own firm 20 years ago was because they were coming out with all these products that I think there were, I don't know, probably 20 at the time. But I knew that that was going to develop. Why? Because the money was flowing into that so quickly and it made such perfect sense to be able to look at a fund, read about the fund, have the fund tell you exactly how they're investing and then uh, watch the fund's performance. And you get to see what the past performance would have been. Those are called hypothetical illustrations. It uh, doesn't guarantee anything for the future. Always remember that. Just because something's done well in the past does not mean it'll continue to do well in the future. But when things are built on logic and they're, they, they make common sense and they're very specific, like I have a, a model that you can request, I can send you some information on it. It's called the healthcare semiconductor model. It's just those two industries uh, over the past few years. You can imagine how well that's done, um, but their stocks, their stock funds, their models that I built because I didn't have to go out and, and pick the individual stocks. I had to go find the funds that were investing the way that I wanted them to. And I put those together and I still think it's a, a good, I think it's got room to run. Uh, is it going to fluctuate a lot? Yep. Not only are they stocks, but the stocks are all uh, in just those two industries. Now, there are probably somewhere close to 800 stocks within that whole model. So it's not like you're, you know, you're not putting all your money down on one company, which is another thing that, well, you know, I've seen people do that. I've seen them go from multimillionaires to a few hundred thousandaires. You know, that's a, uh, when you have multiple millions and all of a sudden now you've got maybe three or 400,000, that is heartbreaking. 4% of 400,000, $16,000 a year. 4% of 4 million is 160,000 a year. And that's, you know, people were thinking, oh, I got it. You know, I got it made. And, uh, I just will never do that. <laughs> I've seen that happen so many times that I am not a put it all in one or two stocks and hang on there. And the, the one stock portfolios, those commercials drive me nuts. Those are done just to sell the book that the you know one stock portfolio is selling. They know there's a market out there for it. So, 
part of uh, what we try to do at, at my firm is I want to be, the, I, I literally would want to be the advisor that I would want to have. I want you to tell me what I'm up against. Okay. Tell me what the challenges are. Help me design a plan to stick within my personal risk parameters and then uh, help me monitor that and uh, make adjustments as needed. By the way, the adjustments, you don't need to make that many adjustments if you do a good job up front. Okay. The adjustments should be few and far between. They really should. Anytime I've uh, gotten too active on that, it's always cost me money. And I'm just, you, that's one of the reasons you want to do your homework first. It should make common sense. And somebody should be able to under, explain it in a method you can understand, hopefully, over time. And uh, anyway, I just, I realize I have about 30 seconds left. So I'll just let you know you're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. You can find me on my website, bullingtoncapital.com. This show is also carried uh, on iHeartRadio as a podcast, the Bullington Capital Report. It's also on my website. So if you wanted to download it and listen to it later, there's something in here you want to go back and listen to again, feel free to do that. And I believe it's also on 955 The Fish and their podcast uh, section on their website. So having said that, I think I still have a little bit of, well, I guess I don't. (laughs) Anyway, have a good week, everybody. Good luck. Good investing. just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.